DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. PK, we got people tweeting at us. Later this hour, we'll get to all the tweets. Uh, here's a good one for you. Jazz Foam Finger, at Jazz Foam Finger. Why, when Jokic has 5,000 more than four minutes left, did the Jazz not go after him and foul him out? I didn't hear anyone address this directly, and there's multiple post-game feeds at the same time, so, you know, I, I know I missed some stuff, but uh, I assume it's because they thought that even if he did commit it, the refs weren't going to call it and weren't going to foul him out. And then in the meantime, you take yourself out of doing whatever you do that you want to do best because you're trying to do this and go at one guy. Okay. Or they didn't know he had 5,000 and they just whiffed. I assume one of the 10 coaches knew he had 5,000. So I'm thinking they're just not getting calls down the stretch. Yach and I were just laughing in the break about Gobert going nuts because he thought he got fouled when he got stripped by Plumley, And a little while later, he's down at the other end of the court basically saddling Jokic up and just riding him all the way to the hoop. I mean, I was basically laughing about living him like, geez, Rudy, Rudy, how many times are you going to foul him on this possession? But they didn't call one of them. They didn't call anything. So right. at this point, you know, just play and, you know, unless someone really gets hammered while they're shooting, they're probably not calling it. There aren't going to be a lot of illegal screens and traveling violations called. Okay, yeah, I agree with you. Let's let them play. You stayed Iceman at Jack Dunbar 10. Jack Dunbar. Sounds like a movie star's name. He's Jack Dunbar. When are we going to make it back to a Western Conference final so we don't have to look at the statue years? I want more to be able to reference when talking to fans of other teams. Conference finals have been uh, 13 years now, right? And NBA finals going on 22. Don't know the answer to that. I would think the conference finals are not necessarily that far away. NBA finals, no idea. You're going to be the best in the West. At that point, you know, are you the best in the league? There haven't been that many teams from the East winning it. LeBron's gotten it done. And Kawhi, and they're now both in the West. Well, you know, a new uh, season is like a new school year. You know, you just have to build it up and see what you got at the beginning and then work hard to get where you want. So right now, this season is over. I can't forecast next season or certainly the season after that yet. Got to see what the rosters look like and what the schedule is going to be and all that stuff. So much more information needs to be gathered before we talk about any of that. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to bring in Andy Bailey. Covers the Utah Jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report and for Forbes Sports. Andy, good morning. Morning. How are you guys? We are doing well. Game 7 is in the books. What went wrong? What you, would you have changed? Easy enough to say if Conley's last shot goes in, it's a totally different vibe, obviously. But there's some other stuff. This should be tweaked. Your takeaways from Game 7. Yeah, I, this this might sound like a really obvious answer, but I don't think there's much Utah could have done differently this series. Like coming into it, I thought Denver would win comfortably because I was um, you know, I was in the camp that thought the loss of Boyan Bogdanovich would just be something that, that Utah could not recover from. Um, then Donovan Mitchell goes out and averages almost 40 points a game for the series, so I think uh, that there's actually a pretty optimistic take on this series, and that's that I, I think we saw another step towards superstardom for Donovan Mitchell. Um, Rudy Gobert was solid. There were there were stretches of this series where he really impacted the best offensive center in the league. Um, 
there were there were some really encouraging moments between those two players specifically, and we know what a you know huge story the drama between those two was throughout the shutdown, and it looked like they were on the same page. Um, I think the fact that they took Denver to seven games without their second leading scorer um, and really their best floor spacer was was quite an accomplishment for Utah. Of course, they would much rather be moving on and. Like you said, that Mike Conley shot was halfway down, and, and there's a much different vibe um, to the season if, if that does go all the way down. But I think all in all, it was a great performance from the Jazz in the first round, and uh, there, there's a lot of good takeaways from it. Okay, yeah, I could agree with all that. What do you think needs to happen to get a little bit better, though? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, they they did such a good job. I still think they had one of the best off seasons in the NBA last year. I, I think they covered just about every need that they had. They've got a bunch of switchy wings, which I think is really important in today's NBA. Maybe maybe you get a couple more guys who are defensive specialists like Royce O'Neal um, that you can you can spare Donovan Mitchell for more difficult matchups. And again, this is going to seem like a, a really reductive answer, but at this point, I I think to get to the next tier for Utah is just continued development for the two stars. Um, I don't, I don't think they're a team that I'm trying to think if they should, you know, go for a third star or something like that. I, I don't really know if that's the model for team building in today's NBA. I think the jazz have two legitimate stars uh, at the top of the roster in, in Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. If Mitchell, you know, he's obviously not going to play like he did in this first round throughout an entire season, but if he's closer to that level um, next season, that takes him to to another tier. I think maybe you have to at least explore the possibility of moving Mike Conley. That's probably easier said than done. Um, he's on an expiring contract, but it's a it's a big deal, so maybe that's not super easy to move. If he performs like he did for much of this series and, and for stretches of the season, he's good too but when i look at that backcourt with mitchell and conley i just i can't shake the the thought that they're just really small um and defensively that causes a lot of problems and we and we've seen a lot through the first few years of mitchell's career what he can do when he's actually the point guard um so i'm i'm kind of walking in circles here but maybe the answer is you find a way to shift mitchell to point guard full-time hope he continues on the trajectory that he's on um and then just, you know, internal development is, is maybe the key. So this will sound harsh, but I think there's some truth to it, and I think it's a reason for optimism, but it starts with negativity. For all the good things Rudy does, and he does a lot of them, there was a percentage of stuff that was just wrong, and I think he cut that BS out. I think... The showdown with Donovan, the COVID stuff, the, I think he decided to focus on what was most important. The fact that he said he wanted more shots early in the season, not good. The fact that they were running two post-ups per game for him in the first five to six possessions was essentially two wasted possessions. Now, mm-hmm. I know it's wasted at the start of a regular season game. I get that. But there's, there's an underlying attitude with him that they felt they had, that Quinn felt he had to do that. It seemed like that all went away. It seemed like he went to the dunk spot, was less involved, didn't have to have handoffs, didn't have to touch the ball. He's on the baseline behind the glass, but there was zero attitude about that, which is a huge positive. And he decided to try and dominate a game from there last night. And the fact he went for 
uh, 19 points and 18 boards and had seven offensive boards. I know some of that is the energy you bring to a desperate Game 7 situation. But the fact that he decided to apply himself that way, I think there's a chance he applies himself that way going forward. I think that makes him a better player and a more dominant force in the NBA. Do you think he sees that? Because if he does, he'll stick with it, and that would seem to have huge upside for him personally and the team as a whole. But I'm just not 100% sure he sees that. Well, yeah, first of all, I think you're right. He he seemed laser-focused throughout that series. Um, You know, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell understandably got most of the credit, but there was a really good center battle in that series, too, between Gobert and Jokic. Um, And he, you know, I I agree with you. I think post-ups for him are essentially wasted possessions. Um, Oftentimes, him catching the ball at the free-throw line moving forward is, is kind of a wasted possession, too. He's a guy who can get big numbers just being around the rim, catching lobs, um, getting offensive rebounds. Like you said, I mean, he can still put up double-double after double-double and, and really impact the game offensively by doing that. At the same time, I've, I've kind of sympathized with Gobert uh, throughout this season because there, I, I do see a lot of times where he's wide open under the rim, jumping up and down, waving his arms. Um, and he knows, you know, if I, if I get this thing, I'm going to turn around and dunk it. And I think there are some solid excuses for the guards. You know, maybe they don't have a direct line of sight to him. Um, you know, sometimes he still, every once in a while, will kind of bobble the pass. And I, you can see frustration from guys like Mitchell and Ingles every time that happens. Um, so maybe, maybe I'm somewhere in the middle on this. But I, I agree with you in the sense that he doesn't, he doesn't need to be doing more offensively. He, he is an incredibly impactful offensive player. If he just sets those screens, rolls out the rim, and dunks when he catches the ball, um, I, I don't think it needs to be any more creative than that. That's that's the benefit of being seven foot two and, and pretty bouncy and having you know ridiculously long arms. You can have a great offensive impact without really having a ton of offensive skill. Um, and so, if he can embrace that to a to a fuller degree, and I think he has at points in his career, maybe his ascendance to all-star status has kind of made him think, well, I should be doing more all-star type things. But what made him so great is the acceptance of that, you know, very specific role. I think there's acceptance from him that's needed to do that. But I also think, um, you know, the guards are going to have to keep their eyes up. And if he's open, go ahead and get the dunk. I mean, it's, it's going to be one of the most efficient shots, even if you factor in the bobbles into the numbers, um, you know, the amount of points per possession that Utah gets when they go to an open Gobert under the rim is, is going to be greater than anything, save maybe free throws. Um, so there's a little give and take there, but I, I think you're right. I, I think acceptance of just, I'm, I'm, he needs to tell himself, I'm the best roller in the NBA. I'm the best offensive rebounding threat in the NBA, and I'm going to get big numbers off those two things. I'm going to be incredibly efficient with those two things, and uh, everything else will sort of take care of itself. How much left do you think Conley has? This season was really interesting um, for Mike Conley because there were stretches where it looked like, wow, this this was the perfect addition, and it happened in this series against the Nuggets. And those two blowout games over Denver, he was phenomenal. Um, and I think offensively there's, there's a better chance that he can be a positive impact type of player for the next few years on that end. But again... I think you put yourself at you're just starting at a disadvantage when you have a backcourt that small. Um, 
when they updated the height before this season, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it I think it took Donovan Mitchell down to like six one. Mm-hmm. Um and his he offsets a lot of that with his wingspan and I think you can trust him on a lot of shooting guards. But if you've got him defending point guards and suddenly Royce O'Neal is on twos and Joe Ingles is, is guarding the three, matchups just become a lot easier with Mitchell at the one. When you have two guys who are six foot, six one, um, in, in Conley and Mitchell, as the rest of the league kind of gets bigger at the guard spots. I mean, there's been so much made over the last few years about how the game is getting smaller, and that's true for you know power forwards and centers to an extent. I, I think it's more you know they're adding skill than they're getting smaller. But at the same time, guard positions are getting bigger. It, it's kind of like both ends of the lineup are trending towards the middle. We're trending towards this positionless game. Um, and if you're taking on a team that has two six six guys in the backcourt, you you just have some natural matchup problems with Conley and Mitchell. And I think long term, you know, if if Mitchell is going to reach his ultimate peak, which I still think is, people have calmed down on the Dwayne Wade comparisons. Um, I still think maybe there's a hint of that. Maybe there's a hint of Damian Lillard. Um, you know, I wouldn't put either of those things past him, especially after watching this series. If he's going to reach that level, I think he does it as a one. Um, and, and obviously in Quinn Snyder's offense, you can do a lot of point guard type stuff from any position. But it's more important on the defensive end because they need to surround him with bigger guys who can guard multiple positions. Um, and they can sort of get back to the defensive identity that they had in the years leading up to this one. DJ and PK, we're joined right now by Andy Bailey, covers the Utah Jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report and Forbes. Uh, I think you're spot on on your points about Conley. Uh, in this uh, playoff series, he played five of the seven games. He averaged 20 points, 19.8, but 20 points a game. He shot 48% from the floor and 51% from the three-point line and 87% from the free-throw line. It still had five assists a game. So it's not offense, it's defense. And the size matters. How much do you think that they coaches always want to tighten the rotation to six or seven guys because in short spurts those guys can take all the minutes? But the Jazz do have genuine depth issues. How much is that a problem? And how much does that have to be priority one? Yeah, that's that's. I mean, you asked me earlier, what can they do to get better? And that's probably the first thing to point to is, is finding somebody else you can really rely on off the bench. They hit a home run with that Dante Exum, Jordan Clarkson trade. I mean, that it, it seemed like kind of a no-brainer at the time, but it worked out better than I think any of us could have even imagined. I mean, he has fit so well there. But they could use, like I said just a minute ago, they, they could use a couple more you know, big, big-ish bodies uh, that they can throw at multiple wings. Royce O'Neal... I think Joe Ingles has this to an extent, too, but Royce O'Neal is really the, the main sort of switchable positionless defender that they have on the roster right now, and they could they could use maybe one more guy like that off the bench. I, I'm not sure there's anybody in development that's already on the roster that could be that. Um, Jarrell Brantley kind of has the height, but I believe it or not, I think his long-term future might be a sort of a playmaking five if he's going to stick in the NBA. Um so more switchy defenders could help. And, and these, these guys don't grow on trees, of course. I mean, if if there were a bunch of guys who could guard multiple multiple possessions and hit open threes like Royce O'Neal does, I mean, every team in the league is, is after those guys. So it's going to be easier said than done to get them. But, if yeah, if they could 
shore up that rotation a little bit off the bench, it would help. I mean, George Niang, I think, has been a good story this season. He's one of the best catch-and-shoot guys in the league. I, you know, every time he catches in the corner, you just kind of assume it's going to go in. But that's another, you know, huge defensive liability. Um, he, he works hard on that end, but he's just never going to have the foot speed to, to keep up with most NBA forwards and wings. So they could use a little bit more defense off the bench. It's, it's, it was really fascinating to see sort of the, uh, not the philosophy of the Jazz switch, but, but they really did go for more of a defense first team to an offense first team. I don't think they planned that. Um, it, it was just sort of the personnel that necessitated it. If if they want to get to title contention, I, I think the next step is finding a couple guys who can really shore up the defense. Do you have any idea what the market would be for Jordan Clarkson? Good question. Um, it's incredibly difficult to predict how this offseason is going to go. Just, you know, we, we don't know what the cap's going to look like. Who knows how much not having fans for all these playoff games um, in the last you know two weeks of the regular season is going to impact the salary cap? What's a mid-level exception going to look like? Um, you know, if it if it comes in around where it was last season, I think a full mid-level exception was nine or ten million dollars a year. I would I would guess some team would be willing to go a little above that for Jordan Clarkson based pretty much on what he did in Utah. I mean, he he was off to a good start in Cleveland, but I, I think he showed things that he hasn't at any point in his career um, with Utah. He still had sort of a, you know, go-get-a-bucket mentality that he's had throughout his career, but it was a little bit more restrained in Utah, and I, I bet that's probably what a lot of people would look for from him. Can, can he play within a system? And I think he proved that in Utah. Um, I, I, you know, we just talked about depth. I, I think keeping Jordan Clarkson... It's, it's not going to be priority number one for the Jazz this offseason, but it should be pretty high. Um, his his impact was fantastic, and they need at least one guy coming off the bench who can get some shots, especially, you know, Donovan Mitchell can't play 48 minutes a game. Um, they need someone who can kind of carry the offense when uh, he's not out there. And, and Bogdanovich will do that, too, when he's back and healthy. Um, but that's this is a very long-winded way of saying I, I think he'll probably be, you know, Ten million to twelve million a year, something like that. But but again, the caveat is we have no idea what exceptions are going to look like. We don't know which teams love cap space, what the luxury tax line is. Um, all of this is going to be determined whenever they figure out what the cap's going to be. Andy Bailey joining us covers the Utah Jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report and Forbes Sports. So the three, six, and four, five series both go seven games. Everything about the standings and the eyeball test told you those teams were all pretty evenly matched, and now the playoffs are underscoring that. But how close are those teams? And maybe it's just some of them, maybe it's all of them, maybe it's none of them. But how close are those teams to the top two in the West? Because that tells you how close you are to winning a title. Even if you go out in the first round, you might not be. There might not be that much separation. How close are they? How close are these second round series going to be? I think they're really close, honestly. I, I think the only team that was kind of in a different tier than the other seven was the Blazers. Um, Dal- I think, you know, the Clippers beat Dallas 4-2, to two, but I think that series was closer than that. Um, there's a good chance they would have won game one if Porzingis had been ejected, and then he goes on to miss two more games towards the end of the series, and there were still a lot of good, close, competitive games in that series. And I think whether it was Utah or Denver, uh, either one of those squads was going to give – the Clippers will run for their money. 
um, you know, I would pick the Clippers in either setting, and I, you know, I'll go ahead and pick them against Denver right now. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Denver won. The the amount of talent in the West is just off the charts to the point that, yeah, there there were five, six, maybe even seven teams that I could see getting all the way to the finals from the Western Conference. So Utah is, you know, with that as the context, they're not far from contention. And as far as the Lakers go. Um, I could see them losing to the Rockets. I would again. I would pick the Lakers in a series between those two things, but with the variability that Houston can introduce to a game with all those threes, and they've got one of the best offensive players of all time in Houghton. Again, I wouldn't be shocked to see them win. I, I probably would be a little surprised to see OKC beat LA because there's. I, I'm just you know. <laughs> Every time OKC plays, I'm kind of waiting for them to turn into a pumpkin. This has been like a season-long Cinderella story for them, and I think they've been one of the most fascinating and entertaining teams to watch, but I still just think eventually this has got to go back to the team or at least close to the team we thought they'd be before the season started. Maybe they'll keep surprising me. Um, You know, I I thought Gallinari is one of the most underrated guys in the league for years, and CP3 obviously has a lot left in the tank, but I I would feel more comfortable with the Lakers in that series um, but again, one through seven in the West was just loaded this season. Um, really, really fun to watch. So <laughs> when we talked about Utah getting to the next tier, um, it's, it's baby steps at this point. It's a, you know, what about Bob? Um, can they, can they make one tiny little move to get there? I don't think they really need to do anything drastic at this point. Andy, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Andy Bailey, you can read him at Bleacher Report and Forbes Sports covering the Jazz and the NBA. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, everything we've talked about in this show, which is largely Game 7, but there's a couple other things out there, and we will get to them next. Stay with us. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Inbound in the backcourt to Donovan. Harris retreats. Donovan comes across the logo with 14 seconds. Spins on Harris. Harris knocks it away. Turnover on Mitchell. Denver with the ball. Eight seconds left. Bounce pass to Craig. Layup, no. Rudy rebounds. Three seconds left. Out to Conley. Conley rises for the win. It swirled out. It swirled out. And Denver advances to the second round. Mike Conley for a three off a missed layup by Denver. And Utah had a chance to advance. And it swirls out on Mike Conley. Missed it by that much. Props to Locke. That was a good call. He caught the last uh, last 10 or 15 seconds of that game pretty well right there. It swirled out, so we're talking about what they did wrong. If it goes in, we mentioned what they did wrong in passing, and then we talk about all the things they did right. Once after seven games, PK, one decision by the Nuggets to drive to the hoop for a layup that admittedly would have clinched the series, but still the percentage play the by-the-book play is drive hard to the hoop, get 15 feet away, vroom, cut over to the sideline, make them chase you down, waste another second or two, make them foul you, and turn it into a free throw contest. Never, ever let the Jazz shoot a three-pointer. Foul them on the inbounds catch. 
and that would have been the play. But they didn't do it. They went for the layup that would have iced the series. They missed it. And so that set up the Conley heartbreak. That's what I was hoping basketball karma would have gotten. Them. Yeah, right. The basketball gods punishing you for that all in kind of uh, that all in kind of against the book bet. Well, that was a mental error. Uh, and once Mark, they... Mark Jackson immediately is like, "Oh, they should not have gone for that layup." And then yeah. Jokic on the post game, what were you thinking? I was thinking, "Why'd we go for that layup?" <laughs> right. That was Malone awesome should have him. been screaming. Maybe he was. I don't know. Yeah. They didn't have the uh, sideline. They just had the play. But yeah, that was a brain fart by the players. And it's too bad. I mean, under the circumstances, they got a good shot. I would have liked them seeing them been able to have a timeout, uh, that they had to burn that timeout because with 14 seconds to go, O'Neal got caught, and he had to call a timeout. It was wise use of the timeout they had left. I just would have liked to see if the Jazz could have advanced the ball, uh, set up a play, and maybe they wouldn't have got as good a shot. Who knows? I mean, it doesn't matter now. Uh, but yeah, they actually did get a good shot under that circumstance. I would say the more the next to last possession and able to get a shot bothered me more than the shot Conley got. I thought giving it a little bother time. Me at all. I just yeah. would have liked to have seen them get a uh, – maybe they can draw up something. All right, everything we've been talking about in this show, the game, the series, uh, the three things. Okay, Donovan Mitchell, give him the nickname. Oh, man, he's a B.A. There's just no doubt about it, man. B.A. That B.A. – the whole playoff series, seven games, everything about him, and even including the post game. I don't know that I've been impressed with a post game press conference after a three one loss. Now I don't remember them. I think about the twelfth time, but that it's happened. But just the way he was so forward, so open, so vulnerable. So in terms of uh, I'm going to get better, and we're going to get better. All the, the leadership that that was displayed i thought it was incredible you know take two three weeks off whatever you need to regroup and then get back at it and you you got so much left to accomplish and so much left that you're capable of accomplishing it makes me excited for his and the team's future the post game the way he went straight back to the eight second call the way he went to unsalvageable the way he went to uh, the Game 5 loss when they're up by 15 in the third quarter, uh, I liked it all. I thought all of that stuff spoke well. You know, he just hasn't addressed. And the way he said unsalvageable, it was so dismissive. It was so, you don't know the relationships on the team. You don't know how the team works. Now, in part, we don't know because he didn't come out and say it for the last few months. If he had come out and said something to the point and definitive, we hadn't really seen him. We'd seen him interact positively with Gobert on the court, but Game 7 really brings out emotion, and I'm sure a lot of Jazz fans noticed a lot of high fives, chest bumping, and yelling after good plays. And it made you think, okay, they are, they're not best friends, but they're on the same page here. You don't have to be best friends, so it's, it's clearly workable. Um, but I thought him throwing that out mattered, and I thought him holding himself accountable first, that always matters a lot in leaders. And oh, I think yeah. that next year in a playoff series, um, the B.A. attitude, not that it wasn't there because it was there and that's why you're saying it, but it's like, um, uh, it's like a chef, PK. No, it's like a stove. Let's go with that. The stove can be on, but that doesn't mean you crank that burner all the way up. 
And I think what we saw, if he holds on to it from the way he was in the postgame, is that there'll be more of a focus. They'll be in a first-round series. Hey, we got to get them down right away. You know, don't give away game one. If, you, if you're in a closeout game, you got to lead. Close it out. Don't go to the next game. There'll be more urgency. If you wanted to order something up in this season, it'd be more urgency in game five and six. And Donovan also, it didn't stick out as much to me. The other stuff stuck out more. But he did say uh, one of the things he regretted in the series, I don't know if he uses the word regret, but that was the implication, was that uh, they didn't match Denver's level in game six. Game six was a mess. It was a depressing game from the Jazz point of view, and he put it on basically not matching their level, not bringing the level of urgency and intensity and focus and all that other stuff that the Nuggets clearly had and the Jazz didn't. Yes, absolutely, yes. And that's uh, acknowledging that. Don't make excuses. No excuses were made. It wasn't anything. Everything it, that it he also, said was it, right on point. I was very impressed with it. It also wasn't short. He could have gone up and gone away. Other players went shorter. Donovan, and I don't know how it works because the player isn't visibly the one who cuts it off. Now, they may say something before they sit down like, hey, don't let this go long. Or, or they may just kind of imply, oh, I got to do this. And, the, and the, whoever's moderating it, whichever PR person is moderating it, it may just be understood. I need to keep this one short. <laughs> I don't need this guy mad at me. Um, but it was noticeable how long he took. The, the Quinn thing was, and, and Rudy, I saw those, and those were more traditionally kind of what you would expect. Donovan was out there noticeably for a longer time after a loss, which anybody who's been in the media for a long time and paying attention always notes that stuff. Well, you look at him after the series losing game and compare other leaders in this franchise after other series losing games. And this was literally the best. Because? Accountability. The acknowledgement of stuff. Yeah, we're aware. The unsalvageable. We know that folks picked us to lose. All that motivation. This is just the beginning. Uh, We're going to go forward from this. This won't happen again. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know that I heard anybody ever be that raw in a series losing loss like this now maybe you know they haven't suffered it wasn't as devastating because you weren't up 3-1 the shot conley halfway down blah blah you didn't have to yeah. come back from 19 to take the lead all those things but also all those things could have led to just baby basically a cliche press conference this was not cliche remarks nothing about what he said was cliche and it was the sign of true leadership and true accountability to himself and to the team and to what he wants to accomplish. I mean, the last uh, supposed leader that they had was Hayward. He would have said nothing of the sort, absolutely nothing of the sort. And Mitchell brought it out there, put it all out on the table. Here it is. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what we're going to do. And I thought it was tremendous. I thought you need to have that level of accountability publicly and privately in order to improve. And if I'm a Jazz fan today, I am thoroughly encouraged by this young fellow going forward and expecting that, okay, he basically said that you know, this is what this won't happen again, man. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of this business. So we, we got to wait, you know, eight, nine months, whatever it is. That's the way it works. Uh, and we go on with our lives in the interim. And then we get to that point in eight or nine months, and I expect to see substantial improvement. 
Yeah, the thing with uh, Gordon Hayward's last uh, post-game press conference was when he said, I don't know about anybody else, but I want to win. Kind of like, oh, you're more committed to winning than everybody else in the organization. Well, that's a little hint about what might happen next. And with Mitchell, he came out and sat down and immediately said how much he believed in everybody. And then he pointed to, I guess, where the locker room was, because we don't really have any sense of what goes on behind the scenes there. He said, everybody in that locker room. And it was like, yeah. it was definitive right from the get-go. It was all-inclusive. He didn't single anybody out. It was everybody. And he was in this just pissed-off, defiant attitude. Like, you know, he, he wasn't BSing around. He was just saying what he think, and he was frustrated in the minute. And there, there was no, I, no emotion for sheltering what he was thinking. He just went no. right at it. Well, th- it was raw, real emotion. It was raw. It, it wasn't was raw. bogus. We were talking about how these Zoom calls are so sterile, and uh, and that's true for ninety five percent of them. And this was the exception. Is that you can get on twenty of them, and there'll be one like this. You know, I'll do twenty more, and there'll be one more where there's something this illuminating and this, uh, you know, this spot on. And certainly, it was the moment. You know, the end of a season, the seventh game, and it comes down to the final seconds and the last shot. So all of that, all of that helps. It's different than you know an average Tuesday availability before a Saturday game. Yeah. Other stuff we have talked about uh, today. You think the Big Ten's going to spin around and play football, or is this all a dog and pony show and PR and spin and people, you know, CYA time? I think they need to admit that they jumped the gun. Might end up their decision was right in the long term, but I don't think it should have been made then. They could have kicked and the I think can it's hard, down the road. Hard time. They're having a hard time admitting that. They could have kicked the can down the road three weeks or a month. Remember when Locke was on and he said, "Why are they dropping non-conference games? Because buys them three weeks. You know, they don't want to start now, and they know they don't want to start practicing next week, and they need four or five weeks to get ready for the season. So kick the can down the road three weeks. Why they all of a sudden ended the whole season?" And maybe they were getting some pushback. I mean, when we had Beth Lanier on, she said it was a relief. She thought it had to happen, and they needed some finality, and the whole kick the can down the road. But, you know, there isn't as much, and this is about the money because everything's about the money, there isn't as much money on the line in volleyball. If you don't play football, sports are at risk, jobs are at risk, it's going to be more debt for, you know, a decade in an athletic department. In some cases, athletic departments already have a lot of debt. They don't all. But we know some do. We've read all the stories about that. Surprising that they didn't just say, okay, October 1 or October 15 or November 1, you know, and keep inching it back. Right, because they're out there still running around practicing to an extent. It just, it just made no sense to me to have the Big Ten do what they did when they did it just a few days after announcing that we're going to go conference only. It just seemed like it was so premature why do it Why when you did it? It just didn't make okay, any sense to but me. But if they start playing again, then myocarditis isn't a thing? I mean, we cured myocarditis on September 1st or 2nd well, or 3rd? Is, is it a thing for the SEC? Is it a thing for high school? Is it a thing for the NFL? It's just a thing in the Pac-12 <laughs> and the Big Ten? So it's not a thing for the Division Two, Division Three, JC, NAI, because they've all just, just shutting down left and right. I don't get this. It's frustrating that medical people have been uh, pulled off the front line. Uh, did they say too much truth? Are they afraid they're going to get off message? It's uh, a ton of questions. The only thing we know for sure is that this is a mess. This is just completely messed up. Just, well, it's a messed up for them, but for the others, they're full steam ahead. Is it, is it messed up for BYU? It, 
if uh, if a coach gets sick and dies, it is. I mean, I'm I'm not a doctor, and you aren't either, and I don't know the future, and neither do you. But when you tell me ten people that myocarditis is really serious, and ten Big Ten athletes already have it, and you want to shut down the league, now maybe I shouldn't take you at face value. Maybe I should be more cynical, you know. But it's like I know you're costing yourself a lot of money. I know that, and you say ten athletes have it, so I assume ten athletes have it. Maybe they don't. Maybe that was all BS. Maybe they just lied to us about that. Um, so I assume there's real health concerns. So if other people are going forward, I mean, did ten people have it in the Big Ten and nobody has it in the SEC? I don't know about any about that, but you're a thing if a coach dies. Uh, so just keep him in his basement for when? Because how? Who's to say he wouldn't have got it someplace else? Yeah. It's true. And, and even, if, even if a coach dies, are we going to know that they got it at football? I mean, to go back to the Jazz, I don't know that Donovan Mitchell got it from Rudy. You know, we know they crossed paths with somebody in Boston who had it. We now know that a bunch of people in Boston had it. So who the heck knows? Not even just there's one fan, I think, that had it, that they signed autographs or something, posed for pictures. I don't know. There was some interaction. But now we know tons of people in Boston had it. We know a photographer in Detroit had it. We don't know that. You know, now that we know asymptomatic people are running around, who the heck knows who they got it from? And maybe it was each other, but no, nobody knows for sure. And I don't know that we'll know that for sure, but I think it comes back to the CYA point and the PR point. It, it'll look bad. Doesn't mean it'll necessarily be, oh, we know they got it there. Maybe, maybe they will have contract tracing and we'll know that, you know, somebody went out to a club or whatever. I don't know. It'll look bad for this national and regional media who just want to lecture us. I'm so sick of media lecturing us. I mean, there's so many of them don't want to play. They want to lecture us. Shut up already, so, man. So much. And I think at the point of your, uh, I think the point of your frustration with the media is that there's so much less reporting and so much more opinion. And opinion is where the click is at. Opinion is right. where the the money is at. And, you know, how much of the opinion is based in truth, how much on, on some truths, and then opinion on top of it, and how much is total hot click throwing stuff against the wall, you know? And I just read less of the opinion stuff than ever, you know? I just, and, and when you do, it's kind of like, and, and maybe we have more access so we can compare it to what other people have told us, what we've seen, because we get paid to watch this stuff full time and other people don't have as much time to watch and read as we do, because... We get paid for that. Um, you know, we can compare it to that. Um, but just, you know, at least, and, and a lot of it, it, it all falls against the background of we don't have a lot of trust in college. The NCAA is an organization, but college sports as an industry, because so much of it is making money, but there's so much smoke blown about the student athlete and, and young kids. And like, if the NFL plays, at least it was about the money. Everybody knew it was about the money. And you got to play to generate the money. So if you play, you get the money. And if you don't, you don't. And so you're not bringing all this other stuff to it that college sports brings to it. And at least with the high schools playing. You know what? It's because they want to play. And in some cases, you know, the elite kids want a college scholarship. But for a lot of kids, it's like, this is our last year. And they're not going to get to play. And they are probably going to be okay. And they all opted for it. And they could have opted out. But college sports is caught in this weird netherland between playing for the love of the game and playing for big money. And I don't think it's lost on anybody that three of the four leagues that make the most money are playing. Well, of course they are. They make the most money.
And the Big Ten is the one that isn't. So, well, trying to play since they haven't kicked off yet, right? Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. That's a lot of what we've been talking about. And it is all brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Big Show, Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Are you ready? You guys ready? I have a pronouncement. Wait, can we get pronouncement music? I don't know what that would be. The uh, fanfare. Do we, yeah, if Gordon uses the word pronouncement. We probably <laughs> ought to dress it, it up. No, no not that. <laughs> All right, let's get to your pronouncement. Jazz fans are not going to be disappointed with the jazz effort. <laughs> yeah, I thought after setting it up with a pronouncement, it would be like Whatever. something a little more than they're going to play hard. <laughs> that is it's so funny. It is not funny. That is so funny. funny at all. Turn this out. Catch the Big Show, presented by Mountain America Credit Union on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. What if the Big Ten doesn't play but then a meteor strikes the SEC, and then what if the meteor also destroys the ACC, so now the Big Ten can use their resources? What if? What if? What if? What if? Time for your feedback. We need more meteor takes. I like them, personally. <laughs> okay. Feedback of the day brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City. We can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. There are people who don't want to talk basketball on social media today. Can you believe that? No. It's true. Gary says, is Pekin going to be covering the BYU Cougars at Navy on Monday night for the Zone Sports Network stations? No. No. No college football travel for you this year. Uh, I have not uh, heard that, but I have not broached that. I don't. I don't. Outside of Navy, I'm not sure BYU has any games worth going to. Well, the only other road game is Army. Other than that, they're all home games. So, right now, right now, you're right. Could change down the road. It's 2020. Everything's negotiable. I've not been on a plane uh, since uh, February, March. I think many people would say that. A few people are going back on planes. I've left the state a couple of times, but by car. By car. Driving it. Yeah. Guys, do you think that Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley will be back on the 2021 roster? I would think the odds are yes, but I would also not put it at 100%. But I think it's uh, better than 50-50. They would both be back. Oh, I think Conley would be very high. Who's going to trade for that amount of cash? Somebody who wants cap room in another year. And all that does is give you cap room. That doesn't give you players. Mm, Yep. And the Jazz, if they were moving him, would be, uh, okay, so what are we getting back for players? Because they're not going to need the cap room. They're going to want players. Right. They They don't need the cap room to pay Donovan because they got bird rights on Donovan. And you can sign your own guy and go over whatever the number is. Yeah. So they're not going to give and up that cap space. Him whatever they have to pay him. That's just an obvious thing. Yep. He's going to be yeah. an extremely rich man. <laughs> uh, I, but I believe Conley's. But Clarkson, I don't know because I don't know what the market's going to be. If I'm Clarkson, he's moved around a bunch. You found a home, you found a role. You'd think that he would be content here. But not knowing the market, you couldn't guarantee it. No. So again, high percentage, but yeah. 
Better percentage he stays than he goes, but it's not 100 because you just I would just don't go know higher than there. 50. Yeah, I was just going more likely than not. Um, Clarkson, how about uh, if I said uh, Clarkson 75 and Conley 90? I would agree with those. Would you go over or under? Oh, I was going to say yeah. over and under. You just spot on, huh? Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say, okay. ironically enough. <laughs> Bizarro. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of here, and Hans and Scotty are up next. We'll talk to you.